I'm Tatiana Antonelli, and you're listening to the Forward Talks by Goombook, a podcast about moving towards sustainability. Before we begin, a quick thanks to our partners at RSpace. RSpace is the first co-working community to connect humans with nature, designed to bring out the best in us. Find out more at rspace.work. On today's episode, I talked to Camilia Zahal, who became the first ever Arab landscape designer to participate at the prestigious Chelsea Flower Show, winning a silver medal for her garden, The Beauty of Islam. Since then, she's won many awards, but in the UAE, she's continued to be known for her landscape design at Albarari. In fact, that is where I met Camilia, when we partnered to launch the Give a Gaff Tree Planting Program Nursery at Albarari in 2011. I found the story of her family building this sustainable development really inspiring. They were using cutting-edge technology, each villa having internal systems to measure energy and water consumption, waste management featuring segregation at source, and specifically for the landscaping, water was recycled within the development itself. It's important to know that, that you know my father's vision was always related to the plants primarily, <laughs> and secondary was... Um, really the villas in an environment that, that people would really love. It was really connecting people to nature again. Obviously, the plant production actually happened first in Albarari, along with the recycling of water. So that we actually organized a, a direct pipeline for TSE water to Albarari, which actually was before Dubai Municipality actually started doing it in the city. We had um, an RO plant, in, which is a reverse osmosis, to clean the water again, to bring it to an international grade B and a grade C. Um, and that's used for our waterways and our irrigation to this day. You actually set up the whole nursery first, right? How yes. many plants did you grow? Still growing, actually. Yeah, still growing. And we've planted, oh, I don't know, but over a million. <laughs> and we've created a microclimate as well. So... Um, on average, throughout the year, we're between four to five degrees cooler than anywhere else. So I know you had a very active role into the whole landscaping yeah. of Albarari, choosing carefully the plants, the flowers. What is actually mind-blowing when you go there is the quantity of flowers and the colors. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful and somehow it's still sustainable. We just grow our plants differently and we, we allow them to be what they should be instead of pruning them back all the time and making it a forced manicured kind of landscape. So we've used species that we know will work. We bought species from everywhere, from South America, China, Africa. Um, we experimented or we would use a similar genus, which is a family of plant, but a different type. So we would know it would work, but it would ultimately, you know, give us a different look or a different color or a different texture. Um, but I think it's, you know, which is where I come in, um, it's the planning and positioning of the plants and how you put them all together to give the atmosphere and the different feeling in each garden and each area. And what about the water features? I've I've seen that you have ponds and lakes, but also... Um, cascades and I've noticed that you have some filtering plants yes so we don't use any chemicals in our waterways we have reed beds which filter the water and we use plants in the water system um, because obviously that oxygenates 
the, the water and it also helps filter out um, all the gunk. Um, we also have killifish in the water as well, which are little fish, indigenous fish to Oman and the UAE, which are going extinct because they're from the wadis. And obviously with the lack of water um, and rain uh, collection in the wadis compared to before, the fish are actually endangered. So we've used them in the waterways and then multiplied ridiculously. Um, and they obviously eat the lava, keep the water clean, so eat the algae. So it's an extra filtration system as such. And is there any innovation at the moment that you've seen maybe abroad that you'd like to bring here or it's already here that you would advise people? There's so many things we can do. There are um, organic additives that you can use into the soil that don't decompose but hold 50% of the water and retain. We, you actually save 50% of the water that you're using. If you can do that and use recycled water but using the real amount that you should use for each species... <laughs> Um, and not over water, then you can reduce... We're, we're going through the whole process in our Barari now. Um, it's a big maintenance overhaul that we have to do anyway because obviously our landscape is very mature. It's over 10 years old. So I'm going back into each garden in each area um, and where we need to clear out and change plants, I'm then adding a soil additive in We're also experimenting with the amount of water that's being used in those areas as well. So we're reducing our water consumption overall throughout the whole project over the next three, three years. I've met with um, a scientist from Norway. They're bringing to the region a, a kind of a clay that you mix with water and it holds the water for weeks. Do you think it's feasible with the, with the sand here? It depends on how the clays made and where it's taken from because that's also if it's a sustainable source it's fine but if, if like peat for example peat was went through a big craze of everybody wanting to use peat to fertilize their gardens but bottom line is you're taking that from a peat bog which is a landscape you're actually affecting a natural habitat and ecosystem in order to to get that peat so that's no longer a viable option So for me, it would be the same question of where does the clay come from or is it manufactured? If it was manufactured in a sustainable way, then, yeah, worth using. And what do you think about uh, composting? Because this is now a big trend in the UAE. We are all concerned about food waste. Yeah. And somehow one of the solutions is, okay, you can compost at home, do it yourself in a bean, or actually buy these machines that in three hours give you some pellets. Do you think these are actually something positive? Yeah, I do, of course, because if we can minimize waste in any way possible, I think that's good for everyone. Plus, it's usable waste. It's waste that's going back into regrowing more vegetables or beautifying your garden even more and giving the plants the nutrients they need. So composting is, is a... Is, is a historical process. It's been there for a very long time. We know it works. Um, and it, it's a logical step to take in terms of towards sustainability and, and reducing our waste. You were talking before also about your ethos in, in work and that you found yourself profoundly linked to the desert and the indigenous species. And as you said, 
Dubai, Abu Dhabi, all these cities are growing incredibly. And there's little visibility on, on water, on how much water all the beautiful flowery trees need mm. when we have indigenous species that can be beautiful or yeah. just are not used. How do you see this challenge? Have you seen a change? There is a change. Adelaide municipality are using, trying to use indigenous plants in public areas. Um, and it's also, you know, they're finding it hard because you, the public doesn't respond so well to them. But I think it's a, just through a lack of seeing how beautiful they can be. So they have to allow time for the plants to grow. I've just done um, my brother's project, actually, Koa Canvas. We've done a 80% indigenous plant uh, planting scheme um, and 20% native uh, to non-native as well. So people are starting to understand that water is, you know, obviously our, our scarcest resource worldwide. Um, and using indigenous plants is one of the ways that I can push, you know, trying to conserve water. Do you find it difficult with your clients? Yeah. <laughs> well, because everybody wants, you know, Thailand. It can be very difficult. And obviously the bottom line is that whatever my client wants, I have to try and provide. But um, there are other ways and means around it. So mixing the type of plants, but then having them on two different irrigation circuits. So one circuit is watering twice a week and the other one is daily. Um, the other thing is is trees. The trees are important because they, they actually consume a lot of the water. Um, and again, using desert acacias, for example, um, desert species that don't use so much water. I mean, people don't realize, but a palm tree takes on average 120 liters of water a day. It's a lot of water. So a date palm is not necessarily almost sustainable. However, a half tree, on the other hand, is. So if I can show the beauty of the plants and educate but give the client what they need. Um, that's my aim. One thing I've read in a report on irrigation, and sometimes a palm tree that already uses 120 liters in the winter and in the summer 300 due to evaporation, it goes sometimes up to 1,000 liters a day just because they open the tap and it goes. And there's very little awareness amongst the irrigation companies. Yeah. To be honest, there's systems that can be put into place that monitor your irrigation on a minute-by-minute -minute basis, hooked up to a computer, and you know what's going on. And when you can easily make any alterations during different times of the year based on the water consumption that's required. But regardless of that, we overwater all our plants. We over-specify the amount of water for plants in this town. So... I'm working uh, with developers um, and trying to change those specifications in order to help minimize, you know, the amount of water we're using. But also I use consultants who are professional in that field for my projects in order to really push the water conservation. Your path um, in landscaping has evolved and changed. I mean, in 2015, you won the very prestigious award at Chelsea Garden with a very specific design as well. I had a trip to the UK um, and 
I was fed up of reading really negative press about Islam um, in the media. And I felt that it was, you know, wrongly placed. And I felt that people really needed to know what Islam is truly about. And I've always wanted to do a contemporary Islamic garden, always. Like ever since I, I finished my diploma, I've got little sketches of all this kind of interpretations of Islamic garden design. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity. So I designed a garden called the Beauty of Islam. And you won. Yes, a silver, silver, silver gilt. Coming from the UAE where everything is about, you know, tolerance and how to live together and how to put so many different nationalities and cultures together, which makes the UAE so special. Absolutely. So you're kind of an ambassador through your work and through your design. Yeah, I hope so. And I think ultimately we've grown so quickly in such a short period of time and we're this metropolis now I think it's important to keep remembering where we're from who we are and our identity and and Islamic design is one of the ways that that can can come to the forefront both of us are women and we've started our own business here so that's why I feel quite comfortable asking you what it is and how does it feel to be a woman Uh, here in the UAE, having your own business and being a Marathi? <laughs> It's actually a question I hate, and I'll tell you why I hate the question. Um, firstly, I feel that real feminism is about equality of the sexes, and therefore I shouldn't be discriminated for being a female any more than a man should be discriminated for being a man. So I feel that it should be on the merit of my work, Um, and not because I'm female or male. You know, for me, it's there's there's no no um, difference. The other thing is that, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a father who's very encouraging of his children, and we've all been pushed, male and female, in our in our family, to go out and get what we want in life and to work hard for it and to achieve. Um, So again, because there was never that differentiation in our family, I've never felt it. Um, even when I worked in the government, um, which I had four years and I was privileged enough to work in some great government departments, again, for me, it was never an issue because it's your merit. It's what the work you do. And, and if you're respected for that, then for me, that's the most important thing. And I think Sheikh Mohammed has, you know, really been the, at the forefront in the Middle East in terms of women in the workplace. He knows that 50% of his workforce is female at the end of the day. And he's so encouraging of his own uh, daughters, you know, to, to really achieve. So I think we're lucky enough in the UAE that that for me is just doesn't even enter <laughs> enter into anything yeah more recently camilla launched a new company focused around children and youth while looking for playground equipment for a couple of projects she realized that there was a need for equipment that actually educates rather than just installing a few slides ed etienne who is now my my partner business partner Uh, realized while he was here and working on these projects that, that actually there's a big gap, which I already knew existed, which was why I was trying to find kind of 
different playground equipment because it's about educating children. It's about pushing their boundaries. It's about strengthening their physical um, strength. And he has the same ethos as me. We we want children to interact correctly with playground equipment. We don't want them to have a little ladder, a little box to go into and a slide on the other side because that <laughs> their attention span on average lasts about seven minutes. However, you give them a massive rope course, climbing frame with a slide, with a zip line, with, you know, something that kind of tests their abilities and their fear, um, they'll stay on there between 20 minutes to an hour. So it's really about engaging children correctly. And it's also about, you know, um, growing, letting them grow, letting them be who they are and experiment and push their boundaries. We also do a lot of um, sensory play areas and adventure play areas. I mean, this is the perfect moment specifically because our kids at the moment are glued to their phones and tablets and somehow there's a lack of experimenting, Mm -hmm. of falling and getting hurt and understanding that you need to use your balance and your senses. And if we need to compare our childhood to our children's childhood, I see a massive difference and the way we actually then are linked to nature it's 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 incredible it's also about getting their imaginations back because they've lost you know they as children of our generation we had to use our imagination to make the fun you know so when we were bored we created fun but now parents have this feeling that they have to if they don't have the ipad then they need to give their child something else. You know what? Let your child be bored. Let them go into their playroom and think about what is going to entertain them. In the park, give them some, you know, wood blocks and let them create a den. So this is the kind of thing that we want to kind of bring back into play, real play. We all dream about something special, a better future. But what is specifically your dream for the UAE in 10 years' time, let's say? Honestly, to really be at the forefront of um, zero waste, um, you know, biofuels, um, electric cars, like all of these things we can implement um, and we've got the research and, and we're lucky enough to have an economy that's strong enough to be able to invest in that um, research as well. I think we could push more because we have profound leadership in the UAE who are concerned with all of these issues. Quick decisions could be made like banning plastic bags. <laughs> please, please, please ban plastic bags ban single-use plastics. Let's also work together and save water. You know, our water table is an issue because of bore wells, but yet bore wells are still being allowed and they shouldn't be because we need our natural water tables to come back. So we have sweet water under the ground and we used to have a fair amount of sweet water under the ground. However, it's been tapped into so much that now the salt water is seeping through. So we do not have the natural sweet water 
as available as it used to be. And so that's affecting everything because as soon as the saline comes up, your plants get affected um, and then ecosystems get affected because if the right plants aren't there, the animals aren't there to eat it. You know, it's not, it's, it's, it's a whole ecosystem that's involved. How would you do it if you could, for example, give a, uh, an advice to yeah. the leadership? I would ban plastic. I would ban water bottles. I would ban the selling of all mineral water completely. Because we have tap water that is drinkable. Maybe the government uh, helps to put filter filters into every house. Maybe they put laws in place that every single developer has to put filtration systems into every house, every building. Um, there's simple ways I think that it could be done and it would be great if we could implement things like that because small steps, big changes. tuning in to this episode and thanks Camilla for joining us and sharing all about her exciting projects. If you've enjoyed this episode, do forward it along to someone who might be interested in hearing it. And if you have someone you think we should interview, reach out to us at contact at goombook.com or on Instagram at goombook. That's G-O-U-M-B-O-O-K. See you next week.